0: Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. And I'm Adam Bingen at Adam Vingen. Hey, buddy. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Good to hear your voice. Good to have you on the show. Michael Gallagher gets the week off, of course, as we still are weeks away from training camp opening for the Nashville Predators. So I thought we'd do an exercise, a summer exercise, as it were, um, I want you to put on your newsman's newsman's hat and I want I'm going to have you ask some some questions of some particular individuals in the Nashville Predators organization that if you had to give them if you had a chance in a one on one interview on the record and you got to give them inject them right into their veins of the neck some truth serum and you knew you were going to get the real answers. I've got a bunch of individuals. I want you to tell me what questions you would ask of these individuals in the National Predators organization. Sound fun? Seems like a grand old time. (laughs) So we're going to do that uh, second half of the show. First half of the show, we are going to ask some questions on the ice of the actual team, the starting lineup. What are the questions that we have? You and I will go back and forth, and, and we will lay out a few of the biggest questions that we have heading into training camp as it pertains to this Nashville Predators team entering an, a totally new era of hockey. So this is going to be a, a, an episode about questions, questions about the current team, questions about the current front office, the current organization and questions maybe of the past. So this is like uh Predators journalism, ghosts of the past, present and, and future. Adam seems convoluted, but we'll it, figure it, it out. It is a little convoluted, but you know what? It's, it's uh it's, it's the middle of the off season still for the, for the NHL, although training camp right around the corner. So, uh, all right. Make sure you uh, follow Adam on the Twitter machine. You can get to me, rate, review, subscribe to the show. We do appreciate it. Uh, subscribe to all the other great shows across the 440 Sports Network as well. If you care about SEC football, the Titans, Nashville SC, you name it, we've got you covered. So go check all of that great stuff out. Uh, and, of course, the gold standard is brought to you by. It's brought to you by Jaspers. Yes, it is. Yes it is brought to you by Jaspers. Tremendous happy hour. You guys know the drill. Free game room that'll babysit your children. Is Arlo old enough? I was at Arlo's birthday party. Uh we made we made an appearance. I'm sure Arlo will remember deep into his his life that we showed up. Um by the way, did he like the gift we got him? We didn't we weren't there for the the opening of the gifts. Can you remind me which one it was? <laughs> uh it was let me think if I can remember. <laughs> Was it was it the a little monster truck. It was a green monster truck and a matching like green squishy ball. Oh, yeah. He likes those. See, he likes he likes the squishy ball particularly. Go go to Jasper's. Here's the thing. I, my daughters are six and five, about to be seven and five. And we go into our, our little toy store here in East Nashville. And I was looking at we've been going to freaking kids birthday parties for like basically four straight years. And I, this is the first child that was like two years old that I've had to buy a gift for in like three years. And I kind of like didn't know how to do it. (laughs) Like every toy I picked up, I was like, oh, this would be so cool. Arlo's going to love this. And then it was like, do not give to anyone under the age of four, small parts. (laughs) And I was like, I've I've lost my touch. I don't know how to buy gifts, but I'm glad that he likes the gifts we picked out. To be fair, Arlo
1: is in the 99th percentile for height. And I believe the 96th percentile for weight, so he's basically a five-year-old, even though he's only two. I, so yeah. I think you can, uh, I think you can disregard those instructions. But yes, yeah, the, he likes both of the
0: presents. He turned two at the at the birthday, and I gave him two gifts that said three plus. And I was like, yeah, but he's got the size of a forty-year-old. His head is the size of a forty-year-old, so he should be fine. He can, <laughs> he, he, he can take care of it. Yeah. The, the other day, Bridget
1: and I went to uh, the YMCA. And as we were leaving, a, a gentleman who neither of us knew saw Arlo and said, he's going to play in the NFL one day. <laughs> and I said, not if his mother has anything to do with
0: it. <laughs> have you seen the recent studies on CTE? Um, no, I've, having have, knowing your wife, as I do, I would say, uh, yes, no chance Arlo is playing <laughs> in the NFL, but he could be he could play for Duke. You know, I was going to say he he
1: should be tall enough to be at least a shooting guard at at, at the Division one level.
0: As long as he can keep his head on top of his body, it's just enormous noggin that kid. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, no, listen. to answer your question, no, he is not <laughs> old enough to
1: go to the game room at Jasper's and be distracted. Like he still needs to be supervised. Ah,
0: that's so, a bummer. We're not there yet. That's a bummer. Go to Jasper's. Okay, uh, I'm going to go back and forth. And I want this is on ice only for this year only. So questions basically about the team heading into camp. This is some basic stuff here. I We're then going to get into some more creative and fun stuff in the second half of the show. But I want to start with the question that we're just going to go back and forth. I've got three. I don't know how many you've got. But, but most important questions about the Nashville Predators as we enter camp that you want to know about on the ice, about the players, the roster on the ice. What's the number one question in your mind? Who's going to score goals
1: for this team? I think that that to me is the, the question is who on this team is going to be a consistent goal scorer? Because last time you and I did the show together, where we were reacting uh, to the Matt Duchesne buyout and Ryan Johansson trade and say what you will of both of those players, but Matt Duchesne in particular was somewhat consistent at scoring goals. Now he's gone. Um, Ryan Johansson, not much of a goal scorer, but those are, you know, those are points that are no longer on the team. I would love to go back. Actually. I wish I had done this and and look at how many goals were scored last season. Like what percentage of the goals are no longer on the roster. Um, but, and then I guess this could be my second question. I'll get to it later, but that's the first question is who is going to score goals for this team? Because at the end of last season, when the, when the veteran players were injured or traded, a lot of younger players got opportunities. I think they looked, they looked solid in the situation they were in. Um, but are we banking on Tommy Novak being as productive as he was? Are we banking on Luca Evangelista taking a huge step forward, potentially being a top six forward and scoring goals? You know, when I look at this roster as is, and what I expect the opening night roster to be, I think this team is going to finish in the bottom third in the league in goals scored per game, and that and that might be generous. They could finish in the bottom. I'm not going to go as far as say the bottom five. But I think this team is a is going to finish somewhere between 21 and 32 in goal score per game. And that's what I want to know is who's going to replace the production that's no longer there.
0: That leads me right into my first question about this roster entering training camp, which is which of these very talented and very highly touted prospects and or young players have fully locked up starting roles in this particular lineup. And you mentioned a few of them already. Luke Evangelista, Philip Tomasino, Yuso Parson, and Tommy Novak. And then there's like a whole host of younger players who are probably further away from the starting lineup. I just want to know how many of them actually have a full-time slot already secure or secure throughout the course of camp. And you mentioned, I mean, Evangelista, I think a lot of people are counting on Luke Evangelista to score a lot of goals. And that means he needs to be playing top line, top six minutes. Does he have that locked up already? I think their plan is for him to be there on the top line eventually, but is it already, is it already, has he already done it? Is it already happened? Uh, Tomasino, I, I think your guess is as good as mine as anyone else's guess on what his minutes and role will look like on this team. I think we know what Yusuf Parsonen is and what he does well. The question is, what is his upside for me and how high up the lineup can he actually play? And to your point about Tommy Novak, is, is the pace last year sustainable? I just don't know. I, I I think people want to believe it, but I, I don't I don't think we know. So I think the questions kind of go hand in hand. Who's going to score goals for this team? I think it's tied directly to how many young players have fully secured spots and can those players deliver offensive production in those slots? Because none of those players we talked about are on defense. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that that is going
1: to be probably the number one storyline to start training camp. Is going to be there's going to be a lot of attention on the younger players that we've already listed at length and you know I contend that although what we saw from a lot of those players was encouraging at the end of the season they were also playing in a no pressure environment because yes they were technically still in the playoff race but did anyone actually believe they were going to make the playoffs and if they were going to make the playoffs, it wasn't going to be because of those young players. It was going to be because of UC Soros. Yeah. So now, I mean, I guess it's still technically a, a no pressure environment because we're not expecting, you know, the predators to, I, I think they're, they're not, there's not going to be a lot of expectations on the predators this season. Um, but they are going to count on a lot of those young players over the course of a full season for the first time in, in a lot of their careers. So, you know, I think they'll, I think you're going to read a lot of stories in the first week of training camp about Evangelista, about Novak, about Tomasino, um, about Parson. I think that's the, the number one thing that Predators fans are going to be curious about once yep. uh, camp begins.
0: You, you can't do a total rebuild and, and stock the cupboard full of a ton of prospects and then have people like be like, oh, I can't wait to see what Luke Shen does for the team. It's not it's not, how, flash, it's not, not it much. Um, um we'll, we'll get to that in a second. What's your second what about the uh, all right, second question? Is Philip Forsberg
1: reliable anymore? Mm. Um last season suffered a concussion. And look, you can't you can't you can't fault a player for getting a concussion. I mean it's a contact sport. Things happen, but Played 50 games last year. Uh, I did a quick. Uh, I did a quick calculator. Uh, did a quick calculating here. Uh, he was play. He played at a nearly 70 point pace over a full season. 42 points in 50 games. But you know, I think at this point, Philip Forsberg's been in the league now for what 10 years, close to 10 years, and. You know, he'll be uh, he'll be 30. Oh, he just turned. Sorry, he'll be 30, he'll be 29 throughout the season. He turned 29 in August. And it's just we're at that point in the player's career. A lot of players don't get better at 29. I think a lot of times players start to get worse or at least plateau. And I, I think that we're in that range with Philip Forsberg. I, I wonder about his um, I wonder about his availability. Um, in terms of how many games he can play every season. Um, and I wonder if he's consistent enough um, to be the type of player he was in 21-22 when he had 42 goals and 84 points. I, I think that season was an outlier. Um, it was a great contract year performance from Philip Forsberg, no doubt. <laughs> it's amazing how, um, that, amazing how that works
0: out. Yeah, right? Well, well, let me, let me give you the numbers real fast because I think last year is completely replicable. So last year, he averaged 0.38 goals per game. His career average, 0.39. So almost identical to his career goals per game average. 0.46 assists last year was his pace. His career average, 0.44, identical to his career average in assists. Goals, total points, 0.84. His career, 0.83. So last year's pace per game, and again, we're not talking advanced metrics. We're talking the most basic stats here those productive those production numbers are i literally identical to almost the 100th of a point or the 10th of a point excuse me uh to his to his career average you know what the numbers were the year before <laughs> almost almost double his goals per game 0.61 versus 0.39 career 0.83 as i said points per game in his entire career 11 years 616 games 1.22 during his During his career year, never before in his career has he averaged more than half a goal per game or more than a point per game. And he did it, of course, two years ago. Here's the other thing. He has not played more than 70 games in a season. 70, not 80, 70. He has not played more than 70 games in a season since 2017, which was many, many years ago. Even if you take away the the two shortened seasons, 67 games, 64 games, 69 games, 50 games he's guaranteed to miss 13 to 15 games. Um, and I think your question is valid. It, it, what what kind of rely? I think the pace when he's out there, I think his pace is proven. I think he's going to deliver 0. 0.4 and 0. 0.8 goals and points per game. I think that's his, he can do that. The question is how many games. Right. And, and the other question is who is he going to play
1: with? Is he, you know, I, my, my guess and again, a complete guess is, you know, he could play with Ryan O'Reilly. He could play. I mean, perhaps he plays with you. So Parson, you know, Luke Evangelista could be other, his opposite winger, you know, his quality of line mates plays into this. And it's, you know, when he was having his best season, he was playing opposite Matthew Shane, you know, Mikhail Granlund was still an effective player. Um, but as you said, those numbers, I don't think are um, repeatable based on his history um, from two seasons ago. So look, I think Philip Forsberg is a really talented player, but he's always, he's always left me wanting more minus the 42 goal, 84 point season. He's always feels like there's more that he should be doing that he has done in almost every season of his career, in my opinion. So, you know, where he's getting to an age where it's going to be harder for him, I think, to put up those numbers, and they're paying him a lot of money. So that's my question, is Is Philip Forsberg still a reliable top-line player in this league for this team? Yeah. I mean, I, I think I think he can be, but I'm incredibly skeptical.
0: If you take his career averages over 11 seasons, over 600 games and take his points per game and his goals per game average for his entire career and extrapolate it out to 82 games, 82. If he played every single game this year, which he's not going to, which he's not going to. But that's what he did for three straight years in 15, 16 and 17. If you do that, he is he's going to score 31 goals and 68 points. That is not a 10 million dollar player. It's good. It's better than anything else the Preds have. And I know he's not making ten million, so don't yell at your podcast app. But you get my point, right? So, I what you what you what you're paying him for is you know, four fifths of that, eighty percent of that. So if he gets to thirty goals and sixty five points, I think you've you've gotten a pretty good season out of Philip Forsberg.
1: I'm looking but, to see but who else I'm is going to score. <laughs> that, that it kind of goes back to my first question: is right. who else is going to score? And I'm looking here. I'm just curious to look at wingers who are going to make at or around uh, the same, um, at or at or around the same amount of money this season as Philip Forsberg. I see Steven Stamkos on that list. He's making the same amount as Philip Forsberg, eight and a half million. Um, I see I'm looking at winger. I'm trying to look at wingers only because there's a lot of centers in here. Um, Patrick line. actually makes more than Philip Forsberg. Uh, um, You know, when you look at some of the players around Philip Forsberg, Timo Myers making 8.8 million, you know, I feel like if you're paying a a, a top line winger, eight and a half million dollars, I feel like 35 to 40 goals should be a given. Um, But with Philip Forsberg, that has not necessarily been the case. So, It goes in line with that first question. Who's going to score? Well, it's probably going to be Philip Forsberg. Okay, well, can you count on Philip Forsberg to be the type of scorer that picks up the slack for the guys who are no longer on the team? And my gut tells me the answer is no. So that's why I think this team is going to be one of the lowest scoring teams in the
0: league. Yeah, I I tend to agree with that. Uh, I'm going to go a different direction off of the forwards and the goal scoring, which I think is, of course, the young players all going to be the focus here. I'm gonna sort of hit a middle tier of player for this team and and it's 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 kind of a statement mixed with a question, but right now to me, it is now or never for three young-ish defensemen. Um let me we, guess. <laughs> Can I guess? Go go for it. Dante Fabro, Alex Carrier, and who's
1: four, the third four, one?
0: Four years, eight million dollar contract. Uh, Jeremy Lozon. So, oh, yeah. to to me, we know what R- Roman Yosi is. We know yes. what Ryan McDonough is. Yes, we know what Tyson Barry is, and we yes. know what Luke Shen is. And three of them are probably locked into starting spots in the top four. At least two for sure. Yosi McDonough, Barry could be a trade chip you move at the deadline. I still think Luke Shen. I think you said this on the show. Just a very bizarre contract. To me, it is not like there's a lot of upside and talent with those three kids. Fabro and they're not kids anymore, but Fabro, Carrier, and Lausanne all are are young-ish. They're not young, but they're sort of entering the peaks of what should be their career. And not one of those three guys has yet locked down a top four blue line defense spot. They went out and signed Luke Shen. Now we can disagree with why and how they went about doing that. It's now or never for one of those guys. One of those guys has to step in and become a... Bona fide, legitimate top four starting defensemen, because if not, all three of them, you, you could be looking to trade Lozon. I know he's got a couple of years left on the deal. Fabro and Carrier are on short term contracts. Like I, I have very high expectations for Fabro and Carrier, not as much for Lozon, but all three of them are about the same age, about the same playing experience, and all three have things that are intriguing. But one of them has to step, well, at least one, if not two, need to step up and be, and and turn into the player that we thought they were going to become probably a year, maybe even two years ago. So, I, I, to me, one of the biggest dis- discussion points here is that this is a, we've had a changeover on the defense core over the last two years as well. And Yossi's the only one still there. McDonough's a fairly proven commodity, but aging and the, and the, the cliff's edge could be approaching at any moment. These are some old guys (laughs) in in this top four. One of these young players has to, again, I keep saying young, but like middle-aged, I'll say. Middle-aged players needs to step in and become a true top four defenseman.
1: Of those three, which one do you have the most confidence
0: in to do that? Don Fabro, he says, with lots of conviction.
1: I would probably go with Fabro, too.
0: All right, well, I guess I'll just ask you then, um, what, why, why Fabro? Why is Fabro the one that you think is most likely to, I mean, just age and, and, and experience? Like, what? why him? I feel that of those three, he
1: has, what's the best way to describe this? I think he has the best defensive profile, if that makes sense. I feel like his ability as a defenseman is higher than both Jeremy Lausanne and Alex Carrier. Um, look, Carrier a couple of years ago was impressive in in a quote unquote shutdown role, but how much of that was playing with Matthias Eckholm?
0: <laughs>
1: it might help. And we, I mean, you saw it in you saw it in in Edmonton after the Predators traded Eckholm, they immediately put Ekholm with Evan Bouchard, who's their young. Upstart defenseman and Bouchard took off.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, not just points-wise, but I think he became better defensively as a result of playing with Ekholm. And we know from several years of of experience watching Matthias Ekholm in Nashville that he elevates his partners quite a bit. So I wonder I wonder how much of Carrier's success in that role was. Mo, was the result of Matthias at and, and Fabro's played Fabro's played there too. So, but I just, I feel like Fabro of, of the defenseman, I don't know. I feel like I, I have just, the most confidence in him to, to get it right.
0: Yeah. Obviously I was not very convicted in my answer to you. Um, I've always been a carrier fan just as a guy that likes watching skaters play defense, you know, just in general. Um, I, I think I expected Carrier to take larger steps forward faster because he was so decent, so good in his first full season at a slightly older age, and especially off the rush. Like he was great in transition, and and it's not like an, there's not like a data or analytics bullet point that I can kind of pull out of my pocket and say like this is why I liked Carrier. It was just I enjoyed watching him play, and it never materialized into it. Never has at least yet materialized into a top four. Blue line slot and I, Fabro, you know, has more experience as a younger player. Like that, that gives him automatically a leg up, and I think that's the right way to put it. He, he has a, a defensive profile that that potentially could allow for him to take those leaps, like we see, unfortunately, from forwards that go to other teams. Hmm. <laughs> like you see, forwards go other places, and all of a sudden, at twenty three ish years old, all of a sudden they're twenty five, and two years later they're doing other things at other, at other on other teams. And that's what I'm concerned about is that these guys, they're going to be moved around. And all of a sudden, you're going to you're going to hear a lot from Alex Carey and Dante (laughs) Fabro on other teams. So I'm hoping that one of them, if I'm a fan, I'm hoping that one of them blossoms into a guy who's worth five million a year. And you and you give him the bigger contract for four years, 20 million. And then you've got a a guy who's now a lockdown defenseman, but he's on your team. He's not playing for, you know, Minnesota or the Kings or wherever else. I don't know what goes on to me. This is going to sound rude. It's not meant to be. He's just a guy like there are times where I like his game. There's times where I go, why were you so far out of position? But I, I don't, I, he just seems like a guy. I don't know. He, you know,
1: third pairing defensemen most of the time are just guys. I mean, there was a time where Seth Jones was a third pairing defenseman here. And that was a luxury because they also had Shea Weber and, and Ryan Ellis, on the right side of the defense, um, but that most of the time they're just guys. Yep. think about all of the third pairing defensemen in recent Predators history. Your Yannick Weber's, your Matt Irwin's. You know, they're all just. I knew you're going
0: to. I knew you were going to say Matt Irwin. I mean, Matt Irwin is the quintessential guy. I know, but he's a great interview. So who
1: I almost ran over at Whole Foods one time.
0: Um, you know who's not just a, a guy? Jasper's not just a not just your average restaurant. It is the next evolution of the sports bar. And Jasper's
1: is also Jasper is also a dog.
0: It's, so a, it's he's not a guy story. because he's a dog. Yeah, it, but not just a dog. The next evolution of canines is Jasper's. Um, you can get you can see little Jasper, by the way, sitting on top of the bar. If you want to go ever go in there and watch a game and order yourself a gold standard cocktail, by the way, you can see that little pup standing up on. Not like a real version, you know, like a stuffed fake version. But he's he's sitting up there in the bar. That's Jasper. Uh, I believe uh, Deb Paquette's dog named Jasper, uh, who, of course, is the chef who started the restaurant and built the menu and has uh, been working for Four Top Hospitality for a long time, doing great work across the uh, city and the region now uh, for that great local uh, Nashville company, Uh, Amerigo, Etch, et cetera, Char, all great spots as well. So make sure you check them all out. Uh, But go to Jasper's first and foremost, because the parking is free and the food is phenomenal and the game room also free. Okay. Uh, what other questions hold on, you have? hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. Okay. I have okay. one okay. question. Okay, sorry. What is the next evolution of the canine?
1: Are we talking like a new charger port, like the iPhone 15? Like what? what's the next
0: evolution of a dog? Based Two legs? Two legs? Two legs? <laughs> I think it's interesting that both of our brains instantly went to dogs walking upright <laughs> instead of perhaps playing poker. You know, like very, fam- very famously, dogs have played poker for a long time. Um, that is true. So, no, that's a good point. Like, I mean, to be honest, if you think about animals, if if you can have an animal as your like service dog, predict when you're going to have seizures, or like help you if you're blind, like service dogs are genuinely incredible.
1: Like, yes, that, they are. That
0: that is the next evolution of the canine. Is is the dog that can predict human illness? It's pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. I don't know. I don't know how. I, I don't know. I don't know how they do in a kitchen though without thumbs. You know, like it'll be hard. Maybe to...
1: maybe they get thumbs. Maybe they start growing that's thumbs what it is.
0: <laughs> Maybe that's what the I mean if we the dog it, is. if we're around this planet long enough, I guess we'll find out. But that might take yeah. uh like millions of years. All of a sudden dogs have thumbs, <laughs> they're walking us around. Uh, would... am I on my uh, third question? My final yeah, third question. Qu- third, third question. What you got for the good people? Go to Jasmine's.
1: Is Andrew Burnett a good coach? Oh. Like like I I think to use the poker analogy that you just brought up, you know he he's been blessed with some good hands as a head coach and as an associate coach. I see what you did. I there. mean that that uh, that Florida team that won the President's Trophy was stacked with talent. The Devils team that he was a part of last season was stacked with talent up front, specifically.
0: What are you getting the at, Adam's
1: team? not stacked up front with forward talent. There are no Barkovs, Huberdo's, for Duclairs, Bennetts, Hughes's, Heshers, Brats or Myers on this team. That there was, there that are That was
0: impressive by the way.
1: Yes, thank you. There are none of them on this team. And those teams were both great at generating high quality offense. So this is so Brunette is coming in here with less talent than he had on either of the other teams that he worked with recently. And, and so, you know, with, with the devils, he wasn't the head coach. I understand that that was Lindy Ruff, but obviously did play a part in their success sure. on the bench. you know, being on the bench. So when I, when I look, because it's easy to see what the Panthers did after he took over for Joel Quenville, it's easy to see what the devils did last season as a whole with Brunette as part of the coaching staff and say, he's a great coach. I don't know that. Like, I, I want to see what he does with a less talented team. How does he get the most out of this group with a lot of young players and veteran players, you know, that, you know, maybe quote unquote past their prime um, that I wanted to see. So do I think like, I, like, I remember when when he was hired, there was a lot of conversation we talked about on this podcast um, about, you know, is this, you know, a, how good of a coach is Burnett? And I think a lot of people will look at his record and say, well, he's obviously a great coach because look what he did with that Florida Panthers team. I don't well, think people do that. You don't think so? I, I think. Are you
0: being speechless? No, I think. A, I th- OK. All right. I don't mean to go in on media or fans. If if you are a media member who writes the story, Andrew Burnett is a great coach without any context of what those two situations were, one of which was the only time he's ever actually been the head coach, right. I, I think you're you're doing a bad, you're not doing your job as a member of the media. If you are I a think fan, he's got sorry, go I, ahead. I just think that they've we've we've I think the media has done a good job of painting the context that he inherited a team that was very talented and he didn't screw it up. That doesn't mean you're I don't I have not read the headline. Florida wins president's trophy, therefore Andrew Burnett is great coach. I think some fans might say that, might argue that on Reddit forums or whatever. I think that's probably true. And and fans are entitled to be homers whenever they want. That's their that's that's your prerogative as a fan of a team. Um I, I just don't I don't I think most people are going into it cautiously optimistic. Well, let me back up to I think the I think the
1: I think what's what may have led to that conversation is comparing the success that Andrew Burnett has had in a limited sample to the lack thereof that John Hines had as coach. Like, I think think that's fair. I think you look at what Burnett has did in his most, I mean, it was 75. I think he coached 75 games of the 82 for the Panthers two years ago. So his basically one full season in Florida versus John Hines three plus years in Nashville. So I think you look at, well, you know, uh, Brunette was a Jack Adams finalist, and that team actually won a playoff series, which the Predators never did under John Hines. So I think that I think that has maybe led to some of the the okay the over you know overemphasizing what Brunette has done. I think but this, my
0: I, I, well, I think the smarter comparison would be Hines' seasons in New Jersey compared to Andrew Brunette's season in Florida. If you want to do that, that makes sense to me. Like, all right, when when they both got the job. What did we know about them, right? And and I think w- you had a lot more data on John Hines. Now again, also important context that I remember reporting on and talking about when I was working at the local radio station and you were writing stories and like everybody, it was a lot of like, well, he was he was given a really bad roster with a ton of young players and they had no talent and he did the best he could, you know, blah blah. blah. Like that context was a part of the, the conversation at that point. So I I think all the context has been fairly um, level headed. From from most of the smart people that either cover the team or care about the team, I I also don't live on, you know, deep corners of the web where people are like, "We're going to win the cup, man!" Like I don't, you know, like I, I, don't, live, think there, <laughs> I don't think I don't, there's I don't think
1: there's any of there. that. But I, my I my question is is Andrew Burnett? He's coming into a situation where the team is sort of taking a step back, but they're clearly still trying to compete for a playoff spot. They're You know, there is no one forward specifically. There is no one on there, there is no forward on the National Predators roster that is as talented as any of the forwards I rattled off for the Devils and the Panthers. None. Or
0: or Alexander rattle off. Either one. Or
1: Alexander. That's not the first time you've made that joke when I've said rattled off on this
0: podcast.
1: Yeah, that's not the first
0: time. No, it's
1: not. No, it's not. And, but the point being is I want to see <laughs> what Andrew Burnett does with this team with less talent oh, Yeah, and that, and so,
0: so, you know, so here's yeah. what, here, so here's what's funny. We're, we're going to do an exercise to on the second half of the show here, where I'm going to give you Barry Trotz, Andrew Burnett, Roman Yossi, David Poyle, and former governor, Bill Haslam. I'm going to let you give them all truth serum. And I'm curious, would your question of Andrew Burnett be, if you gave him truth serum, are you a good coach? <laughs> <laughs> well, like, I think what do you I, think he I, says I, to that?
1: Of course. I mean, I would, I would hope that he would say yes, because obviously, you need obviously. to be confident in yourself. But yeah, that's my question is I want to okay. know how good coach Brunette well, actually is
0: only, only time with that one. That's for sure. Uh, so this is sort of a, I think the standard question about the lineup is going to be, well, how does the center priority shake out through camp? Like, is it O'Reilly glass Sizens, Novak, is Parson in the center? I think that's that's sort of like going to be a very common question and debate. I my question is maybe a little bit more nuanced, and it would be frankly for Andrew Burnett, which is, does it matter if you have? Do you have to have a clear, defined priority at center to find success in your system? Do you have to have it be? this guy is number one, this guy's number two, Cody Glass has to be number two, so-and-so has to be three, or is your system designed for there to be a little bit more free-flowing creativity, game-to-game, Like and, and then explain, and then why, right? Like, why, why is it okay if this guy's moving up and that guy's moving down and this guy's moving to wing and this guy's playing third-line minutes and that guy's playing fourth-line situations? And, um, you know, I, I, I think the greatest of great teams generally have Fairly defined roles. So my question would be: It how important is it that they have clearly defined center priority on the roster?
1: Yeah, there there are certainly a lot of options, and there are players who are versatile. Um, I remember earlier this summer, I was filling in on said local radio station that you alluded to. And, uh, and we had Andrew Burnett on for one of the times I was on, and I asked him about you're penciling in your top, you're penciling your lineup in right now. It's written in pencil, probably. What does your top six look like? And he said that he thinks the concept of a quote unquote top six is overrated because the best teams have more than two lines that, uh, that a team can count on in all situations. Um, so that, that'll be interesting to see how he goes about doing that because there are certain players that, you know, are going to be in certain roles. Like we know Philip Forsberg is going to play left wing on the top line. And really after that forward wise, it's kind of up in the air. Like I have said that I think Ryan O'Reilly is going to be this team's number one center, but he's not necessarily suited for that role anymore in his career does Andrew Burnett see him more as the third line center he is best suited for at this point of his career and give Cody glass or Yusso so a, a top six opportunity. Um, you know, who's going to play on the wing opposite Philip Forsberg. You know, I think it might be Luke Evangelista, but could it be Philip Tomasino? Could it be Gus right. Nyquist? Could it right. be, it, there, I, I feel like the, only, I really feel like the only forward spot, that you can say, okay, clearly this is what it's going to be. Is Philip Forsberg going to play on the left wing on the top line? Yeah, and then because there are some other intriguing names like Denis Gorionov To me, is an interesting player because he does have talent. It didn't. He 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 had shown it in spurts in Dallas, and I guess in Montreal too. Um, you know, he's probably a bottom six player, but you know, I, I would be very curious to see where Brunette sees certain guys because you know we might see. Colton Sissons as we've seen Colton Sissons for the past several years as you know the the anchor of a third or fourth line right but he's also played wing in the top six when necessary does Andrew Burnett think that that's where Colton Sissons is best used we don't know well that's the interesting thing about a new coach is you learn like after a while you know you with Peter and John Hines you, you you can pick up on okay clearly they think of this player in this particular spot Burnett's coming in with a clean slate, which I think is interesting because now our preconceived notions of where players should fit may be completely out of date based on what he decides to do.
0: Well, and with twelve years left on Colton Sissons' contract, he's got a lot of time to figure (laughs) figure that out. Here's so, do you think he answered that question because it was a must lie situation? Because he's not also like the middle of the summer, so that might something. that's what I'm saying. In the middle of the summer, a first year head coach of a new hockey team is not going to tell you who his top six forwards are. So my question is how much of that was, do you believe? And again, this is pure speculation. How much do you believe is him telling you genuinely what he thinks and how much of it is he's in a must lie situation where he's not really allowed to kind of like the, the role does not allow you to kind of say the head coaching role does not allow you to say like, Oh, these are my top six. And then, give well, I name. think
1: if I go back, I think it was before free agency, so a lot has changed since I right. since okay. I had a chance to speak to him. So that that okay. that that has changed. Um, I think it was around the draft that we that we spoke to him. Um, so a lot has changed. A lot of the new players have come in. Roles can be
0: changed. Um, yeah. I I think yeah. Hockey I mean, line- I'd be. I think yeah. hockey lineups are must lie situations. P- publicly, For the most part, some publicly. some coaches
1: are quite transparent
0: about it. That's but true. That's we'll see with that. All right, so here's what we're going to do the rest of the show. Uh, go to Jaspers. Um, I, I'm going to give you a name, an important piece of the National Predators organization, most of whom are current, maybe some some wild cards mixed in. You are sitting down with them face to face. You have as much time as you need, and you have given them truth serum. They have to answer you honestly. Okay? This is the exercise. I've got a list of five names here that you already know about that you were prepared for. And then I've got some names on here that you can imagine (laughs) that that you could take a guess at what they're going to be. But I'm going to ask you about that. And I did not tell you who those those people are. So I'm going to start with new general manager, Barry Trotz. And you have some time to sit with him one-on-one. And he has been given truth serum. And you get one question. What is the question? Hmm.
1: I would like to know how much influence he had on the Predators Trade Deadline plan. Because although David Poyle was still technically the general manager, we knew at that point that Barry was going to be taking over. The the press releases of the trade said all said David Poyle. How involved, how involved was Barry Trotz actually in terms of determining which players should be traded, what those players should fetch in return? I think a lot of fans, once that, that transition was announced, wondered if Barry was really pulling all the strings and David was just getting his name on the press release because he was still in that position. I would love to know, play basically a play-by-play. I would love to know how involved Barry Trotz actually was in the trades that involved Tanner Janot, Nino Niederreiter, um, uh, Matthias Eckholm. Matthias Eckholm, Michael Granlund. And now that I say all of that, I know you only asked me for one question, but the other one that came to mind is... You only get one. (laughs) Too bad. I'm I'm, I'm too bad. Too bad. I'm going to give a second one here. This is the only one I'll do it for because it didn't occur to me until I started answering your question. I would really love to know how much Barry Trotz disliked Matthew Shane and Ryan Jordans.
0: Uh Okay. Okay. <laughs> All
1: right. So, that, that's what I, that's actually what I would really like to know. So I've got
0: one, show. I've got a question for Trotz in that situation that I would ask as well, but I, I, I want to respond to yours, your first question or your first, mm-hmm. which is to me. So I, and I actually talked to David Poyle about this at the introductory press conference, Trainer Brunette, which David Poyle was technically still the general manager. He still had like a week left on his, in his career. And I specifically asked him to, I, we kind of talked about the influence of Barry Trotz and David Poyle. Like what was the what was the communication like through the coaching evaluation process and coaching search? It was more focused on the coaches than the trade deadline. And he said basically it was a full open line of communication back and forth. And that ultimately and I said, just to be clear, Barry Trotz pulled the trigger on removing John Hines and hiring Andrew Burnett. And David Poyle said yes. On the record, right to me. It's, I've recorded it. We played it on the podcast. So I almost don't like this is gonna be a weird, I'm not trying to discount your question. I almost don't care how much Trotz was involved in the specifics of the moves unless unless the part of the answer is that he like didn't know how to do it or had to learn on the fly, or like the idea that they moved every piece they could to get as many pieces back as possible. I think is the only right strategy. And I, and I, and I almost don't care how much Barry Trotz was involved in like the actual execution of each trade. I want to know if, if Barry Trotz is like, we should not have traded Matias at home. That's like, fair. It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's kind of a similar question. Now, my question for, for Barry Trotz would be, what are your actual expectations for this hockey team this year? Like I, I, I want him to, I would want to know points. Position in the standings and points. What are your actual expectations? And I think he would give a, because it's Trotsy and he's on Truth Serum, he'd give a very long-winded answer yes. uh, about the development of the young players and how this guy has grown into this player and this guy grew into that role. And But at the end of the day, I just want to know, what does he evaluate as successful? Is it making the playoffs? Is it a winning record? It, what What is it? What's the line in his mind when he's alone by himself in the office at the end of the night and he's got nobody around him. What what is it that he views as a success with this roster and this coaching staff and these players in this year? That's what I want to know.
1: I think that's I, I think that's a good question. Yeah, I, I think in, if I could redo mine, it would be about the decisions to trade Ryan Johansson and buy out Matt Duchesne. That's pretty and good. Pretty good. The, the comments about we want you to we don't want you to come here to retire. We want you to come here to win. Like that was that was absolutely directed at Matthew Shane, wasn't it, Barry? Like well, that's, that's the right. question. I would, yeah, so yeah.
0: I, it leads I was like going to let you go first on all these, but it leads me right into what I would ask Andrew Burnett, which is exactly okay. what you're saying. My question for Andrew Burnett would be, would this team have been better with Ryan Johansson and Matthew Shane on it? Like, are you better off going into camp with Ryan Johansson and Matt Duchesne? In your opinion, and again, talking to Andrew Burnett, in your opinion, would you prefer to have those two players on the team or not?
1: (laughs) My question would be Do you think that any of these young players can actually become high level forwards in the NHL? You can use the word star, you can use the word superstar, whatever you want to use, but like, do you actually believe? that Luke Evangelista, you Parson in Philip Tomasino, whatever those young, those young forwards. Do you right. have faith that any of them will become high level game changing franchise altering, whatever word you want to use forwards in the NHL?
0: Yeah. Do you believe Matthew Wood will be a top line winger <laughs> a little farther down the road, but I get, I think you're right. I think there's, I, I, you know, Getting the head coach's honest sort of analysis. Because he's coached those players. He's seen those players up yeah. close.
1: Yeah. He's seen Jack Hughes. That's a different level. Like, do you think that any of these players have any chance of going close yeah. to being the kind of star that Jack Hughes is?
0: I, I mean, look, I enjoy, I think there's no reason for fans not to really love Yuso Parson and Tommy Novak as players. I think there's a lot of reasons why fans should enjoy watching those two guys work and play and what they do. But is it is is it not the most predators thing of all time for like a seventh rounder and like another sort of not heralded prospect to all of a sudden come up and be like the thing people are banking on? Like, it's the most predators thing of all time. Like, yes, Tommy Novak and Yusuf Parsonen are going to be our stars this year. It's
1: like the Titans with undrafted wide receivers. <laughs> like, that's that's kind of what it is. It's like Nick Westbrook Akine. Wide
0: receiver one
1: question, Mark? Stop it. You know Stop that kind it. of thing.
0: All right, Roman Yossi, what's the one question you can ask Roman Yossi? Now, this one, too?
1: this honestly was the one that I, I thought was the best question ah, of okay. the
0: ones that you gave. Me. This is the one that I thought was the best question. And I'll, I'll
1: state the question and then I'll give some context. I'm sure most of the people know the context, but I will explain it anyway. Did you see what Eric Carlson did this summer? And has any part of you thought about doing the same thing? Hmm. That would be my question, because think about it. So Eric Carlson, we know, had been rumored to be traded from the Sharks for a long time. He comes to Nashville for the NHL draft, excuse me, the NHL awards. He wins the Norris Trophy, but he's here for that event. And in the pre-award news conference, he basically says, yeah, I want to be traded. Time is running out. I've played with a lot of great players who have never won the Stanley Cup, and I do not want to be one of those players. Now he's ultimately been traded to Pittsburgh. Very similar situations. They're the same age. They're 33 mm. years old. They've mm. both won Norris trophies, though. Uh, Carlson has won multiple Norris trophies. They both have long contracts. I think Roman has four or five years left. I, I think Roman has five, and Carlson has four. I think left on the contracts. They both have high cap hits. They both have full no movement clauses. So I would want Roman. I would love to know. After you saw what this team has done over the past several months, do you see what Eric Carlson did, and has any part of you thought about doing the same thing, being open and honest? I don't want to be here. I want to win, yeah. and get and move, get moved to a team that you can win before
0: your contract expires. So Adam and I did not take compare notes. Was it the same question? Well, not yes and no. We did not compare Basically. notes on on this. But what I wrote down for Yossi in that situation because, again, I'm also fascinated by the human element in general when talking to athletes, coaches, administrators, whatever. It is, how how do you think you will look back on the decision to sign the contract if for the next two or three years the Predators aren't in the playoffs? Right. And your last ba- two... Yeah, basically the same Basically question. the same thing. And, and the last two or three years of your prime was spent in a rebuild mode. How do you, do you think you will regret that at some point during your, when you're 65 years old and you're sitting at a Swiss mansion in, on, on this beautiful crystal clear lake in middle of Europe, uh, you know, with like grandchildren wearing Rolex watches, are you going to be upset that maybe you played three years on a bad team? (laughs) Like, is basically what I'm asking. And it's very similar to what your question is. So I, I think. I don't know if we're there yet, but I could see it being next year.
1: I just, when everything you know? was happening with Eric Carlson over the summer, like I I thought about Roman Yossi. I was yeah. like, yeah, it's, it's not the, it's not, uh, it's not the exa- exact same situation, but it's pretty similar. Yeah. In terms of where their teams are. I mean, now the sharks are a little, the sharks are further back than the predators, but the predators aren't, you know, close to mm. winning the Stanley cup. Right. Right. So, I just wondered, did you see would you are you willing are you considering pulling in Eric Carlson? Yep. that has that thought ever crossed your mind?
0: I think it's great I think it's exactly where my my mind went to uh, human motivation and human element. Uh, David Poyle was the decision to announce your retirement?
1: Was it always planned to be when they did it, which was in late February when the team was cratering and starting to sell? Or did you did you move up the announcement to change the narrative surrounding the team?
0: Well, he, he said at that press conference, I basically made this decision at the draft the year before, the summer before. But then he said, right. Trotz, but, but then he said Trotz wasn't a part of the equation until around the Christmas holiday,
1: right? So he's but, he's
0: given us a mul- multiple different timelines.
1: Okay, but here's what I but that I mean that's that's fair. But this is what I like. When they when they made that announcement, the first thing I thought was was a master stroke of public relations because the, the team,
0: I think the episode title, I think the episode title on the podcast that week was predators change the narrative, <laughs> right?
1: So I like if the like I am skeptical, as I typically am, that if the team was competing for a playoff spot, mm. they would not have made that announcement in February. They would have waited until the end of the season. I think I, I think that, and again, I could be completely wrong. I think that the timing of that announcement was not an accident. I oh, I agree. I, and I, I, I want to know what the plan was behind the scenes before that announcement was made. Yeah. And was it, David, our plan was, let's just say, like, David, our plan was to do this in April, or me, or, you know, luckily, or, you know, our plan was to do this, fingers crossed, in June after we win the Stanley Cup. But our plan was to do this after the season. We can't wait until that anymore. Yeah, yeah like the, the 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 confidence in the fan base is cratered. We have to change the narrative. Well, we have to do it now.
0: So here's what's interesting about that question because I totally see it from a PR standpoint. I don't know who had the authority in the building to make that call and to force him into that. Which I've got Bill Haslam written down here. <laughs> I mean, that could be like, a question for Bill. I don't I know. Mean, but to, to me, that's the question for Bill: Is were you a part of? the orchestration of how it all unfolded. Cause I, the other questions I would have for, for Poyle and Bill Haslam and to some degree, Barry Trotz would be, what did you actually tell John Hines? Like, I, I want to know what did you actually that, say to that's
1: him? That's a, that's a good question too. Cause
0: if you, cause if you actually, here's the thing, like, I don't think it's a, like a gotcha question either. It's like, if you went to John Hines and said, look, and this would be very unusual, but it's not that crazy. If you went to John Hines and said, look, we're probably gonna move on from you. We've got a couple of candidates. We're gonna interview and we're gonna to try to hire somebody. If if these two guys don't work out, we would like to keep you as our head coach. Do I think that's wrong? Yeah, probably. Do I think it's unprofessional and very rare and strange? Yeah, probably. But as long as you were open and honest with John Hines and he was on board with the plan, I don't think that there's anything wrong with it. As long as both parties are sort of in in the light. But like I wanna know what you told John Hines. And and that's again, I don't that's know. That's a how good much question help. too. I don't know how much it matters but like I'm just interested by that. Uh, yeah. I mean to me it's
1: was the plan always to announce your retirement at the at the trade deadline after right. you I think it came after they made the first trade. It was it was during was, was, was the
0: week of it was the there was still a week I, I yes. think it was after they
1: traded Niederreiter. I think it was after they traded Niederreiter, but before they had maybe, I maybe I, maybe the same day they traded Janelle. I don't remember. It, the, I
0: think Point the three. deadline was like thir- like Friday at like two p.m. and the yeah. press conference I think was like on a Tuesday because I remember going up to some of the front office people and chatting about like how this must feel like a relief, but that like they're all still deep in the weeds of the trade deadline. Like that no one could take yeah. a breath and actually enjoy. I remember asking one one person I said, "Hey, do you, do you get a chance to actually take a breath and enjoy like what you guys accomplished at all?" And they were like, "No, dude, we got try we gotta try to trade pieces." <laughs> so yeah uh, they were I, right I, for- I
1: just I just wonder about the timing of it all and and, and whether or not that was something David yeah. had to be convinced yeah. into doing like you have to do it now like we have to do it
0: now i I, I, I totally get your point. I don't know who could do that. Well that's maybe the one. answer we would get is who convinced if, if if it's true, who convinced who made the call? Like, like Sean Henry's not going to pull David Poyle aside and say, look, you got to announce your retirement today, like, or, <laughs> or next week or whatever. Like, that's not how the power structure works. Understood. Do you, do
1: you see what and I'm saying? Quick, yes. And quickly, my question for Bill Haslam would would be about what he, what, what he thinks makes a good owner of a professional sports franchise and whether Publicly he, facing. Thought, and whether, and whether he thought Herb Fritsch was a good owner based on that criteria.
0: Oh, I don't see. I, don't, um, I care more about like, what is your communication style with the fan base going to be? But I feel like that's a question you can ask him without the truth theorem. Yeah, maybe you're right. It probably doesn't give you a good answer though. It probably probably like, well, we're going to be as available as possible and we're going to like, he's a politician by trade, you know? Exactly. So that's why I feel like I want to know
1: what is, what is the model of a good owner in your opinion? Okay. Right. And based on that criteria was Herb Fritch a good owner. All right. Because her Fritsch was was not front facing. I don't know if Bill Haslam's going to be front facing, but I do think that as the team started to s- struggle, that became a problem, and you
0: know among the fan base, I think you, you and, and, and I, so you I, and I just want Bill Haslam to say, "Look, I'm, we're going to have a singular voice, and I will be a forward facing owner who speaks to the press." <laughs> that's
1: that's I what mean, you and I want. <laughs> maybe,
0: but I, I would, you know, if you,
1: I feel like if you asked him that question without the truth serum, you get the political spin. This way I want, right, I want to know right.
0: well, like, uh, what, or, or
1: like, how is he going, how is he going to be different of an owner than her? Previous? I, I like,
0: think some, something along. Those lines. I, I think it's totally, I think that is absolutely the the direction I would go with Bill Haslam is uh, how, how do you view your role as ownership? What, what, you know, cause it's it, like, it's not about like spending because the salary cap is what it, the salary cap is. Like you're going to spend what you can spend. Um, the, the, ops team does a great job making sure the venue is filled with concerts. Like there's not like the business side of things are, is fine for the Nashville predators. It's, it, it I guess it's, it's similar to the trots question about expectations, which is what are your expectations for Barry trots and Andrew Burnett? Because if you're going to be the singular voice and a forward facing owner, that means hot. Uh, eventually we now have a different organization where one singular person can decide it's time to move on from this person, X, Y, or Z at, at any point down the road. And that's different than the power structure of the last 25 years, which has been David Poyle will decide everything basically. Right. All right. I got like three quick ones I want you to answer. Is that okay? Yes. You don't have to give a whole lot of explanation here, Adam, if you want. You can just give me the question because I'm throwing these names at you without you preparing for them. Okay. Truth serum, one-on-one, face-to-face with Ryan Johansson. What's your question? (laughs) Mm, That is a good question. Go to Jasper's. Jasper's. I'm thinking of a good one here. Free parking. I'll just talk about Jasper's while you're thinking. Free parking, great happy hour. Tremendous menu. There's a stuffed dog on the bar.
1: I would like to know what... I would like basically a transcript of what the phone call was with Barry Trotz when he heard it was being traded. And... Whether or not he w- he felt like maybe he was a scapegoat for some of the Predators issues and being traded.
0: I, I I think that's good. Um, I'd like to know. I don't know what the right way to ask this is. How do you feel like you are perceived by the Nashville Predators fans? And I think mm-hmm. I think over time it's going to be largely very positive.
1: I think so. I think it will be.
0: I think I mean, when he's they, probably the greatest center in franchise history. <laughs> when he comes back with the yeah, advent yeah. This season,
1: he's going to get the you know, get the, the video. Yeah, he'll actually he will actually get a video this time. Unlike in Columbus, his first time back in Columbus, yeah. he didn't
0: get a video, and he was very upset about it. Next, next person, John Hines. <laughs> I mean, to hmm. me, it's easy. When what were you told? by the front office of the Nashville Predators while you were still employed for months while they were actively searching for another coach. Yeah. Like what were you doing? Like, were you at home?
1: (laughs) I kind of know, I I kind of know what he was doing. Yeah. He was basically like, he wasn't working during that time. He was basically sitting at home. Yeah. Like so weird. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you. I would just be like, what, what were the conversations like when the decision was made that they were going to keep you under contract while they still
0: interviewed other people? very strange along those lines might have ended up in exactly the best place for the predators but very strange peter Laviolette, why do you hate me so peter (laughs) i knew you're gonna make it personal i knew (laughs) i knew you're gonna make it personal i want to know like in any moment in does he acknowledge that evolution is required in life (laughs) i just want to know like the greatest coaches of he's obviously a very smart hockey mind and a very good, good quality coach for a short period of time. I'd like to know, like, when does he does he feel like he needs to evolve or learn any lessons through his coaching career at all? Or can he just be that good for four years and that's all you need? I mean, the guy's made a fortune. He's got a ring. He's been to three cups. Like Leading, it, lead, leading into the time before he was fired, he was pretty confident outwardly
1: that he wasn't going to get fired. So I would I would wonder like privately, <laughs> when was the first time you thought to yourself, "Fuck, I might get fired." Like, what was the fir- like
0: when was when did that moment hit you for the first time? But he's not a dumbass. Like, he's a smart, smart guy, and he was fired in like game two by the Flyers. <laughs> like, it's, yes, he, it, yes, he made it's it. It's not think, like this an, that season. It's not like he doesn't know that the axe is coming. It, also, every fired course.
1: he's been fired plenty of times. Yeah, like he. Knows. But I but the way I like, I would love to know just, I would love to get into his mind. Like basically from the time of the winter classic to the time yeah, he was fired, the four like, days or whatever, like that, that week long period from the time, from the day from January 1st to January 5th or 6th, whatever day it was that you were fired. Like, where was your mind at? Like, did you, were you waiting for the ax to fall? Were you oblivious? Were you that, I'm, I'm not oblivious? But I would love to know where his mind was because outwardly he was confident he wasn't getting fired. But again, that could just be him being outwardly confident it's, and being scared of shit inside. Must I, must, I, I, must lie
0: situation. You, you asked him that specific question, uh, much to the predator's chagrin <laughs> about feeling pressure after losing to the winter classic. And I think his answer basically was no to you. Like the, the coach is not going to say, was yes. I not onto something though? Was of course I not you, onto know, you were, you were on the trail, but like, obviously, a coach is not going to be like, yes, I'm concerned, Adam Vingan, about my future as the head coach of this organization. I, I, If I don't win enough games, I will soon be fired by this organization. Like, well, rem- I, I what mean,
1: is he supposed during, to say?
0: During the COVID season,
1: at the end of the first half of that season, when the Predators looked dead in the water, I asked John Hines the same question. And he answered it. And you know, he didn't answer the question, but he answered it in saying, We've all got to be better. We've got to. We got to, You know the the you know the Mike Rabel got to coach better, kind of play better, kind of thing. It wasn't like I'm not. I don't. I don't feel any pressure.
0: Are you suggesting that John Hines is a better communicator and more personable than <laughs> Peter Laviolette? Is that what you're suggesting?
1: I mean, I think that's obvious. But I. But okay. like, okay. if 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 I were to find out, like with this truth theorem that that the day before Peter Laviolette got fired, that he didn't think he was going to get fired, it would not
0: shock me. It I really think- wouldn't. I don't you know. It wouldn't shock me either, but I think that's exclusively personal for you to find out. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> it serves no other purpose than for you, Adam Bingen.
1: <laughs> well, all, it, all it, it, was a, it was just a. But it was just all that is. It was just a weird time. Like that whole that last of couple weeks was just a weird time because you just got this vibe, like something was going to happen. And
0: Brian Ellis's career ended that week, basically, basically.
1: But like you, 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 you didn't know what was good. You had a feeling that something was happening. Like to me, like I, I, I remember leaving the winter classic. I leaving the cotton bowl being like, he might not get fired today, but he's getting fired very soon. Like I just, I just had that gut feeling you have when you're around a team every day. And you know he didn't make it until the end of that week but it was just you know I hadn't thought I w- about
0: I hadn't thought about this but uh basically I was in the same boat as Peter Laviolette <laughs> I I mean I was getting my eyes
1: I was getting my eyes checked when he got <laughs> fired and fortunately I did not choose to get my pupils dilated otherwise I would have been fucked um but yeah I mean I would just love to know I mean, it was such a weird time and I would um, just love to know uh, unguarded, like what those last few weeks were like.
0: I, I would want to be in the therapy session with self-evaluation Peter LaViolette of old age. Like, I, I want 75-year-old Peter LaViolette to evaluate his own progress. That, that's what I would want to... Th- like, that's just a psychology human elements thing, again, that's, that I'm fascinated by. All right, Matt Duchesne, Kyle Turris, what else you got? Give me Matt Duchesne.
1: Hmm, Matt Duchesne.
0: Can you, oh, really, yeah. can you really play guitar?
1: <laughs> I've seen him play guitar. No, it's, I know. Actually, it's not that bad. Um, that's a good question. How much credit do you actually give John Hines for your career season? Because at that time, he was talking up a big game about how much John Hines helped and how much their relationship evolved and how much they became more understanding of each other. Was that all bullshit? Did you just go out there and say "fuck you, John Hines"? I'm going to do this on my own. Or did he? Did you actually have the those sort of sound- like, come to Jesus conversations with each other?
0: Yeah, some, some some Cartman in your voice. They're like "fuck you, John Hines." <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to score forty three goals. Yeah, yes, no, kitty. Um, uh, uh, Kyle Turris. What do you think, Kyle oh, god, What would you ask him? <laughs> It, had, I mean, it would we have to be something
1: about Peter. Yeah, because, of course. That was talking about talk about shit
0: shows, that whole thing. I uh, want to how about Mike Fisher? I want to know what his body felt like after the Anaheim series. Yeah. I want you to t- tell what do you remember? <laughs> that, that 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 is a good one. Um
1: with, you know, with Kyle, yeah, with Kyle Turris, it would be, it, it, you know, it would be, so I would want the, you know, the unvarnished uh, truth from his perspective on the falling
0: out with Peter. Why did the relationship go the way it went? Yeah. that's It's a why question. Open-ended yes. why. And with Fisher, actually, I've done enough radio with, with Mike Fisher. Like, I think right now, today, if I sat down and actually had an opportunity to do a show with him, I think I could ask him that, and he would probably... Like, he's pretty sensitive about that particular time. But I'm pretty sure I could say, like, hey, like, that was an incredible battle. Uh, do, what do you remember about how you felt after that series going into the Stanley Cup? I bet you it gives you a pretty good answer. Are you vaccinated? Wow. Okay. Uh, we're, we're done. <laughs> and the podcast is over. Uh, go to Jasper's, everybody. Uh, the next the next evolution of the sports bar. Um, Adam, where Come can, on. That was funny. It was great. It was great. It was great. Where... <laughs> Where can people find you? Nowhere. For for now. (laughs) No. Other than Twitter slash X nowhere. Okay. All right. Just for now, it's Twitter, right? For now, it's Twitter. For now, it's Twitter. All right. Thank you guys for listening. Rate, review, subscribe. Go to Jaspers, everybody. For Adam Bingham, I'm Braden Gall. This has been The Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network.